Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdena Osband, our daf of the day, Masachet Kitubot, daf Ayin Chet, page 78. And in on page 78, we get a new chapter, chapter 8, and a new Mishnah because of it. I'm just going to give a brief overview of what's the content of this chapter. We're speaking, we've talked about this in the past, I can't even tell you when when or what context, probably in Yavamot, right? We talked about usufruct property that a woman brings into the marriage right, where they're, you know, property that's not really part of her dowry and she brings it in that she had owned prior to the marriage, if it was property or if it's her earnings or whatever, that remain hers. But the husband is allowed to use them and to eat from any produce that they might, meaning, let's say that she's got a cow and the cow gives milk. So he can use the cow. He could, I don't know, plow his fields with the cow. Can you do that? And he can also have the milk from the cow. So there's this kind of like a strange who owns it, right? Because on the one hand, the wife owns the principal, and on the other hand, the husband is the one who owns the rights to the produce that comes from it, which means that now what happens if somebody wants, either one of them wants to sell the property, right? And it gets much more complicated because who, whose cow is it, right? Whose property um, is it? And the answer is it really is a, it's a joint ownership, but it's not a shared ownership over the same details of the property. So this is where we begin, right? And then the a good chunk of this masachet, not masachet, sorry, chapter, is about the user for property. Here we go, Mishnah, um, at the top of Amadal. So we have here a woman who had um, inherited property um, prior to the time that she was betrothed. Bichame and Bithil both agree, that's nice, that she can sell it or give it, she can do whatever she wants with it. The prop the transaction is valid. However, Naflula Mishinit Arsa, if she inherited from the time of the betrothal, Bichame Omrim Timkor, Bithil Omrim Lo Timkor. If she only inherited it after she was already betrothed, then Bichame said she can she can sell it even during that time that she's betrothed. And Beit Hillel said she cannot sell it during the time that she is betrothed. And both of them agree, even Beit Hillel, that if she did sell it or she gave it away as a gift, whatever, then the transaction is valid. The question is whether she should be doing it, according to the Beit Hillel position that she should not. So Rabbi Yehuda says that the sages said before Rabban Gamliel, he acquired, didn't this man, the husband-to-be, he acquired the woman through the betrothal. So shouldn't he also be acquiring her property at that same moment of the time of the betrothal? Meaning everything that he, everything that she owns, doesn't that then go to him from the time that they're betrothed in the same way that she is now, forgive me, essentially his property. The Gemara is, and the Mishnah, we'll see this more in Kedushan, doesn't really treat the woman as property. It's not quite property, but there's still a formal act of acquisition that changes her status to be designated as, you know, the only that her husband is or her betrothed is to be the only man for her. And she is, you know, designated specifically for him. Um, so I'm saying tongue in cheek when I say property, but all the things that are her property are property and shouldn't they go to him? So Ramakamil says, if there's something new, right, that she inherits after marriage, then, you know, he says, 
then we're ashamed. What does it mean we're embarrassed? What does this mean? Because it's not clear why she can't sell it. It was hers. She inherited it. But then, so so he says, you want us to roll over on, like, onto, onto us. You want to add to this a prohibition regarding the old property, meaning the stuff that she already owned before she came even into the marriage. And it's a really interesting language, I think, here. I don't recall ever seeing such a thing. This idea that there is a discomfort that, that there's an expressed and articulated discomfort with regard to the way the halacha treats property that she inherits that then suddenly is no longer hers to do what she might want to do with because she's already married and the husband has some level of propriety, oh, 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 some level of ownership over it. Okay, the mission is a little bit long. I'm going to continue here. Naflula Mishanisait, if she inherits property from the time that she's already married, Elu Elu, meaning Shamai and Beit they agree that if she sold the property or she gives it away, whatever she does, the husband can go to the person who has received it or bought it and take it back. Even if it was a transaction, a financial transaction where she gets money for it, he's allowed to go say, no, I want the original thing and go get it back from the buyers. So this point, right, Rabbi Gamliel says that if she's inherited the property before she's married, and then she's married, Rabbi Gamliel says that if she had sold the property or given it away, the transaction is valid. Meaning the, if she own, if she inherits something after the time she's married, she, this is where his comment above seems to be, to fit in now. Amar of Chanina ben Akavya, Amar, Amar lifnei Rabbi Gamliel, ho'il v'zacha b'isha lo yizke ben achasim, so again, the same question. Rav Chanina Ben Akavya says um, to Rabban Gamliel, he, you know, he acquired this woman through this formal act of, of acquisition during marriage. Uh, shouldn't he also get the property? Amar lahem, Rabban Gamliel says again, al chadashim anu boshim, Rabban Gamliel says about the new things, we're ashamed. He has some embarrassment over the fact that the husband is going to take possession of things that are supposed to be inherited by the woman. And he continues to say, and you're going to, you know, you're going to add on a prohibition about the old property that really was hers prior to the marriage. So Shimon distinguishes between one kind of property and a different kind of property. This is kind of funny. Why funny? Property that the husband knows about, she can't sell it once she's married. Meaning she owned it prior to the marriage. He knows about it. She cannot sell it even though could have sold it prior to the marriage. And if she did sell it or she gave it away, it doesn't count. Meaning, again, the husband could go get it back. It's The transaction is nullified. But something that he doesn't know about, and that's why I think it's a little bit funny, um, right? Meaning then she can sell it, she could give it away, and she shouldn't do it. But if she did it, then the transaction is upheld, it is valid, simply because the husband didn't know about it, which kind of turns this whole question over who's really the owner on its head, um, which will table the discussion of this, I guess, until another time. Yardena, over to you. Yeah, so look, I think this comes, you know, again, marriage is a business transaction. <laughs> so you have to sort what you're going to do with the property. Um, and, you know, that's what they're trying to figure out here. Um, I do think it is interesting, though, that we do see that women had their own property. 
Um, yes, it's not all presumed that she's what she's a, that kid who's getting married off by her father. That's not the case. Right. Meaning well, some- look, I think older women got married, widows got married, like people did come in with their own assets. And so I think, you know, uh, it, it, this is sort of what the Gemara is acknowledging here. Um, you know, so the Gemara basically is going to go through, uh, you know, first a little bit to explore, um, you know, how exactly uh, can she sell her property um, and in what uh, circumstance. But essentially, there's sort of a machlokas here between Reverend Gamliel um, and the and the Chachamim. So I, I'm going to read a little bit down, uh, you know, at the uh, of the bottom of Ahmed Aleph, which sort of gets into some of this. Um, and we're not going to read all of it. So it says the following. That if she inherited property after she was married, both the Kama and the agree that the husband would actually repossess that property from the buyers. Right? So the Gemara says, why don't we say that we already learned this Mishnah when we talk about the Takanat Usha? Remember, we talked about those Takanot earlier, right? Rabbi Yossi said in the name of Rabbi Hanina, right? In Usha, they made the following Takana. Right? So in Usha, they made the following takana that if a woman sold her use for a property, right? Property that she owns and that her husband just sort of gets the benefit from the dividends, right? And she sells it while her husband is alive, but she dies, right? The husband takes it from the purchasers. So the point is, is that it seems that this Mishnah that we have here seems to be one of the Takanot of Usha. And again, in a way that the Gemara likes, the Gemara doesn't like repetition, right? They want to understand why would you want to teach this in two different places? So the Gemara says, right? They say no, right? The Mishnah, right? The Mishnah is really talking about what the husband is allowed during her lifetime, right? and the value of the produce that he gets from purchasers if she sells the land during the marriage, right? The produce being of, of this malog, of this use for a property that belongs to him, but the land really is remains in property of the buyer. Takanat Usha, the gufa shel kaka. The Takanat Usha is really talking about the land itself and even after the death of his wife. So the point the Gemara is trying to make is, is that this Takanat Usha and this Mishnah are actually talking about two very different types of uh, uh, two very different types of um, uh, of of circumstances. Then the Gemara goes on and says the following: Rabbi Shimon Cholek ben Nechasin, right? So Rabbi Shimon, uh, you know, makes a distinction uh, about between prop different types of property, right? Meaning property that knows about and property that the husband doesn't know about. So the Gemara says the following, right? The Gemara wants to know which properties um, uh, are known and which properties are unknown. I'm a Rabbi Yossi Rabbi Hanina, right? So Rabbi Yossi Hanina says, right? So Rabbi Yossi Hanina says, property that's known is talking about land. In other words, how can you not know that you own land? But you know, metaltaline, movable property 
it's possible the husband may not know about a movable property that the wife has. For Rabbi Yochanan Amar, Rabbi Yochanan says, both of these lands and metaltalim are always going to be known properties. Unknown is going to be, and this is a different type of logic, right? She lives in one place, okay? And then, you know, uh, but the but she gets property that is inherited her from overseas. So the husband didn't even know that this property basically uh, existed, okay? And so then the Gemara is going to say, Tan Nami Hachi, right? That we have a similar opinion to this in a Brisa. Right, that uh, there are unknown properties, and what are these unknown properties? They're nechasin that get acquired from midinat hayan, right? And so then the Gemara is going to illustrate this uh, with a story that actually is going to take us uh, to the top of uh, of the next amud. Um, but the idea is, is that it's it's basically a story of. Right, the the story is going to be There was a woman who wanted to remarry. Must have been after she was divorced or widowed, and she basically wanted to protect her own property rights from her husband. writes a document that her property should go to her daughter. Okay, the daughter gets married and then divorced. So then, therefore, she wants her daughter to return the property. The daughter wants to basically claim that the that the property was a gift for her. We'll see what the answer is tomorrow. We'll pick this up tomorrow. But I think the point is of these few passages that I read, and it's actually a pretty rich dot, and it was difficult for me to figure out what parts I wanted to see, is that this is actually really complex property law. And you can really sort of see in a way like, how each case could sort of really be its unique set of circumstances. And that a little bit with this chapter is make some sort of rules, but we see, you know, you still needed a takana. And even then we have this idea of like known property or unknown property. This is like very, very complex. And what's going to be interesting to see in this paragraph is how do they try to go about trying to sort of make some order so that there are some basic rules. But I think a lot of these things probably got decided by specific cases that were brought to the bait team. Like it's sort of what's decided on a case-by-case basis. I think it's really complex. And I think that we're going to be seeing this not only tomorrow, but these kinds of issues are going to show up for a whole bunch of more masechtot even coming forward. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hydra website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Time and Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.